0: mask off. Cameras are on. Um, hello, good morning. Welcome to Lake Forest. I want to know when the season of ripe grapes is. Um, me and my wife love wine, so um, that would be a good time to know when that happens. Um, but yeah, so I'm Caesar. I uh, have the, uh, the privilege, um, honestly, the luxury to lead our, lead our teams um, here at Lake Forest Church, our ministry team, our youth ministry team. Um, which uh, is is awesome. I love my uh, my small group leaders and then also our uh, Sunday morning production team. So our camera people, um, our sound people um, and it's just been a joy to work alongside um, so many awesome um, givers of their time and of their talents and so I just really appreciate uh, just being a part of the journey, being part of the ride and so um, I also had the luxury of preaching this week. Um, I also had the privilege to to bring uh, you guys along in The Whole Story. This is a series that we've been going through these past couple of weeks, and we'll be going through it the rest of this year. And this series is called The Whole Story, because um, uh, it seems pretty obvious to me, we're going to go through the whole book of the Bible. We're going to go from cover to cover, and every week we're going to kind of hit the highlights, and we're hoping that you guys get a, a good grasp of what the Bible is, what it um, is saying to us um, today in our, in our time and um, in our place in this world. and so. Um, I have the privilege of uh, just walking alongside you guys in this series. I know it's been super beneficial for me, um, seeing the highlights um, week after week and hearing um, great preachings um, just on, this, on those highlights. And then um, the uh, Bible reading plan that we've also offered to you guys um, is, is really great to kind of fill the gaps in between the highlights. And so I'm reading along. Um, in that Bible reading plan. And I think I've read more of the Bible in these past couple months than I've probably read in my entire life. And maybe that's true of you. Um, so um, if you're interested in that, there are, um, I believe, um, these, uh, these Bible reading plans on the back uh, table and online as well. And then on top of that, um, Nathan has a podcast called Tell Us More, where every week we look at the sermon um, with the speaker who, speak, who preaches that week. And we ask them to tell us more about the sermon. And so I'm getting a lot of Bible um, these past couple months. And if you are interested in joining along in the story that we're going through, um, it's a perfect time to jump right in. So um, this week, I get to lead us just one more week along. And so I'm pretty excited. So um, this past week, um, I was on YouTube and I saw a really interesting thumbnail. And that thumbnail said, Archaeologists find a piece of ancient Bible. And what, what they mean by that, they find these texts that are thousands of years old with the original language and they're written out um, on these old pieces of parchment paper and, uh, and, you're start, and you get, these archaeologists are finding these new um, real pieces of old Bible. And I was like, wow, this, su- this is super interesting. We're going through the whole story. This might be a really cool um, uh, opportunity to f- make it feel like the whole story is becoming real. And so um, I meet this guy, his name, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but he's from Israel. Um, I think his name is Omar. And uh, he's talking about what they find. And he's super excited the whole time. He's grinning the whole time. I put a picture up there. He's kind of smiling the whole time. He's like, oh, we found this piece um, of the Bible. It's in its original language. Um, and, and he spent his whole life devoted to finding these things. And so at the end of the video, I'm really excited. I'm like, man, I want to see what this, what this piece of paper looks like. And it looks like this. And, yeah, y'all are laughing. I was laughing, too, because I was like, this is not anything cool i was expecting to see a scroll i was expecting to see you know a big piece of paper you know like a sheet maybe i don't know what the bible looked like back in the day but i was expecting something really cool this needless to say is not really cool this looks like a bunch of cornflakes i spilt this morning and it's just laying there and i'm just like why are they so excited about this thing they go back to interviewing him and he's still so excited he's like it's from isaiah he's talking all about it and then they go back to this back to this picture i'm just like it's still not doing anything for me man and so Um, I just was thinking about that and I was like, man, this guy is really invested in the story of the Bible. This guy is really plugged in with what the Bible is saying. And I kind of want some of that joy. I kind of want some of that excitement about the Bible because sometimes it doesn't make me smile like that. And so hopefully today's story helps us connect more with what the Bible is saying, more with what the scriptures are trying to communicate to us today. And so a couple weeks ago, um, we started this uh, um, journey. It's a few few weeks ago now. But um, along along this journey, there was this idea that I really thought was really interesting. Um, One of the preachers gave it to us. And it was this idea that the Bible is communicating a big story with two layers. And the top layer is the upper story. And this is where God works out his will. It's a long-term trajectory for the world and for his plans for the world. And that's a really cool thing um, to have. And then there's this lower story. And that's where humans start making decisions, and they start exerting their will on the world that he's created. And so it was a really cool sermon because I'd never heard um, the whole story split down the seam like this before. And so um, the gist of that sermon was that we're supposed to trust God's bigger story and his upper story even when we don't know the full picture. And I really was wrestling with that, and it was really cool and, and illuminating thing for me to wrestle with. And so this week, I want to ask the question, what happens when these stories merge? What happens when the upper story and the lower story start to merge lanes? When God's decisions and our decisions start interacting with each other, and some of the decisions that are made in the lower story start to bring out responses from God's upper story. And I think this is what this text is actually going to show us a lot about. And so, um, the scripture that we're in is in the book of Numbers, and up to this point, Um, it's a really really fascinating story where God's story is beginning to merge with the people's story before I read it I want to just bring you up to speed where we're at so God has heard the cries of Israel in slavery and he responds by partnering with Moses and leading those people out of slavery the next thing he does is that he leads those people to a mountain and he says I'm gonna establish this partnership not only with Moses but with all of the people And so he establishes his covenant. He gives them the law, and they agree. And they're like, yes, we want to be partners with this kind of God who delivers people out of slavery. And so they say yes, and then they're led by God on a 40-day camping trip through the desert where he's going to hash this covenant out with them. He's going to teach them what it looks like to partner with him and to bless the rest of the world. And so that's where we're at. They've gone through the desert for 40 days, and they are on the edge of the promised land. So let's read what the passage says it's in numbers and it says this when moses sent them to explore canaan he said go up through the negev and on into the hill country see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak few or many what kind of land did they live in is it good or bad what kind of towns do they live in are they unwalled or fortified how is the soil is it fertile or poor are, the, are there trees in it or not? And by the way, do your best to bring back some fruit from the land." So what's going on in this passage? Well, when we hear the, when we hear the word spies, we might think mission impossible, we might think um, CIA stuff, covert operations, maybe SEAL team kind of this um, mainly thing, it's mainly expeditions that are going on. But I think what actually is going on in this story is less of that kind of a mainly thing and more like a, a friend group who's having to scout out a bachelor party where they're having to go in, into the land and say, okay, where are we going to go? Where are, the, where are the bars? Where are the restaurants? Uh, where are we going to stay at the Airbnb? And then also, um, you know, is it, how much is this going to cost, basically? And so it's, it's just kind of a really practical journey that they're going on. And I want to focus less on the practicality of what they're doing, but more on what the, how the Scripture describes this journey. And the, the Scripture is using a lot of these either-or statements. I don't know if you picked that up after re- hearing Bob read it and after meeting after hearing me read it and there's these bunch of either or statements is the sir, is the foil is the soil fertile or poor are there trees in it or not is it this or is it that and it's a really interesting interesting thing i want to pick up on because this these either or statements are the are, is a tool that the that the authors of the bible are using to really help us see something that's going on in this situation and this is, these either-or statements are, are leading us to believe that they're going to have to make a decision. And so the Hebrew authors are like, a lot like um, musicians nowadays where they're repeating themselves pretty often and they kind of say the same things over and over in their songs. They're also sampling older work, right? And so keeping um, older songs contemporary, keeping them um, just kind of relevant. And so you're hearing you know, some old songs. And so that's what the biblical authors are doing here with these either-or statements. And you might be asking, what are they sampling? What are they trying to repeat with these either-or statements? When they say the land is good or bad, when the people are strong or weak, and when the soil is fertile or poor, what are they trying to highlight? Well, I think what they're trying to highlight is they're trying to highlight some decisions that are gonna be needed to make. And so I I want to ask this question, when else have we seen God's partners being put in a situation where they're going to have to decide between one thing or another. Where else in Scripture do we see them having to decide between doing something or doing something else, good or bad? And then when is the decision highlighted with a piece of fruit? If you don't know what's going on here, the biblical authors are really sampling something profound here, and it's this thing that I'm calling the song of decision. Where something is is presented with these uh, something has presented itself to the covenant partners where they're gonna have to decide to follow God or to follow what they believe they should do. And that's the song of decision. What you need to know about the song of decision, if you don't know how the first time it how it happens the first time, it's not really a happy song. The song of decision is a kind of ominous, a sinister song, kind of like Jaws or maybe even with the hunt video that we heard. Where it's like, Wom! and it's like, the the dinosaur shows up, and then it goes, Wom! again, and then it's like, oh, something else is happening, and it's, it's this rising action, this building suspense, and it's kind of like Jaws, where like with every decision that is being offered to them is the land good or bad? You hear the you hear the orchestra go, done, done, and then when you start reading through the list, it's like the the list gets read faster. Is so are the people strong or weak? Done, 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 done. And then you get to the place where they eat eaten fruit, where the, where the fruit is being presented to them. You're like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. You know something's about to happen. When the fruit shows up, you know a decision's about to be made, and it's a scary decision. So what are the people going to decide? So Numbers chapter 13, verses 27 through 32. They come back after their, their journey, and they say to Moses, We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. Okay, awesome. Maybe this, this song is a better song. Maybe they're sampling an older song, an older decision, and they're actually going to make it happen this time. But the people who live there are powerful. Oh, no, this is going to maybe play out like we've seen it before. And the cities are fortified and very large. We have seen the descendants of Anak there, which are like the giants, um, physical giants in the Bible. The Am- Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. All the Airbnbs and hotels have been taken up, Moses. We shouldn't go here. Find another destination for us. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for certainly we can do it. Okay, maybe this is going better. But the men who came up with him said, we can't attack these people, they're stronger than we are and then it gets worse they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored and it gets even worse the night that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword our wives and children will be taken as plunder Wouldn't it have been better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should just choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So the Song of Decision has presented itself with these covenant partners and it's starting to sound a lot like the last time we've heard it. It starts to sound like people are mistrusting God and going back on his promises. But this time, um, the song is a little bit different. and I think this is really interesting. I I thought it was super interesting. But this, this decision, this time when the song plays and the decision that they make is kind of this reverse symmetry to what Adam and Eve walked through. And I think it's super interesting because when Adam and Eve are presented with this song decision, God says, hey, don't take that thing because it will lead to your death. It's not bringing you life, don't take that thing. And they mistrust God and they say, God, I think, I think God is holding out on us. I think he's keeping us from something that we actually should have. And so they take that thing. But here in this story, when the song decision presents itself again, God says, here, take this thing. Take the fruit. Walk into this land. And these people are like, "Mm, I don't know about that. I'm going to refuse. And so it's really providing this artistically concise, just definition of what it looks like for us to mistrust God. That both in our invitation to take something that God is offering us, and and to not take something that we shouldn't get, we're getting this really clear picture of what it looks like to distrust God. And this for me is when the Bible becomes a little bit more personal. I know what it's like to take something that God doesn't want for me and then to invite all the chaos and all the hell and all the bad things that come in with some of those decisions and the disruption that that, doesn't, uh, that, that brings into my life. I know what it's like to take something that God doesn't want for me, but I also know what it's like to refuse what God is trying to offer me. I know what it's like to say, you know what, God, if I can't provide it for myself, then I don't think I want it. This is, looks really hard. It looks beyond my reach. And I know you say I can have it, but I think I'm going to choose something else. And I think for most of us, we've made those, we've heard the song of the decision, and we've kind of made one choice or the other. To not, but those, um, to not take what God wants for us, but also to take what he doesn't want for us. And that's when I think this, the story becomes a little bit more illuminating to, to who I am and who I think we all are as people. And so um, at this point, when we read the song of decision play out this way, um, we begin to re-ask ourselves the question, how are these stories going to merge when God's covenant people and God's partners don't want to play along with God, when they don't want what God wants from them, when they don't want their stories to merge in trust, but rather in disruption? What is God going to decide to do with these people that don't trust him? Well, I think this story is going to show us a lot about our decisions. I think this story is going to show us that no matter what happens, um, our decisions do have an impact beyond ourselves, um, and it also impacts what God is going to decide as well, because God is committed to partnering with humanity. This is the big idea of this, of this uh, passage. God is committed to partnering with humanity, even when humanity doesn't want to partner with him. So how is this this story going to merge? How is this upper story and his lower story going to merge when God's partners reject him? So um, at this point, um, my assumption is that a lot of us haven't heard this story before. Um, I don't know how many of us have actually read the book of Numbers, so I just kind of want to do an anonymous survey. So rather than assume, I just want to take an anonymous survey. So um, I want everyone to close your eyes and uh, bow your heads real quick. So no peeking. You're gonna, you're gonna just communicate to me what you know about this story. And so the question is, and it, raise your hand if this pertains to you. Raise your hand if you do not remember how this story ends or do not know how this particular story ends. So go ahead and raise your hand. I just wanna know. Okay, you can put your hands down now. All right, everyone, uh, open your eyes and lift your head. So the reason why I ask this story is because I have a follow-up question to those people who don't remember how the story ends or don't know how the story ends. And it's this. What do you think God is going to do? How do you think God is going to respond to his rejection? And the reason why I ask this question is because what we believe about what God is going to decide to do shows us what we believe to be true about him and about his character. What we believe about his decision in response to us shows what we already believe about God. And if you don't know how the story ends, and if you don't remember how the story ends, I think you are uniquely equipped to really learn who God is this morning. For people who don't know how the story ends, I think you're gonna be very receptive to the kind of God that God is gonna show himself to be. But our response that we expect from God reveals who we believe God to be. So what kind of God are we dealing with here? Well, Moses and God have a conversation in God's tent because God's been camping out with his people and they hash it out and Moses says this to God in verse 17 he says now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you've declared the Lord is slow to anger abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished he visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Don't get hogged on this. I'll explain it later. Um, But he continues, he says, um, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. So what kind of God does Moses think he's dealing with here? Well, according to Moses, God is generous. God is gracious. He's full of loyal love. But Moses also knows that God's character does not get displayed in a vacuum. God knows that, and Moses knows that God's character gets displayed within the context of our lives, within our lower stories. God is generous, and that gets played out when we are in need. God is gracious, and that gets played out when we miss the mark. God is full of loyal love, which gets played out when time and time again we need um, the acceptance and the care that God can offer us. And so God is committed to this partnership with us Because when he gets to respond to our lower stories, he gets to show us who he really is. Dr. Tim Mackey, who is a preacher out in Portland, says this in a sermon um, that I heard about the character of God. And he says, very rare are the moments when God actually works in human history without any human mediation whatsoever. We might say, that's a really inefficient way of going about things. So clearly, efficiency isn't one of the huge cares of this God. This God has other high items on his agenda than being efficient. And I don't know about you, but I often find myself tempted to believe that God is efficient, that God is quick, and that God is going to exact really efficient um, uh, responses to my decisions. But if efficiency isn't high on God's agenda, what is? What is high on God's agenda is that he wants our upper story, he wants his upper story to include our lower ones. What's high on God's agenda is partnering with you. And so if efficiency isn't what what he's going for, then clearly he values having room for the messiness in our lower story so that he can respond and include it in his upper story. So then what are we gonna expect God's response to be? Well, God's response is that he's going to deliver on his promises. God is going to decide to deliver His people. And when we hear about God being a God who delivers, when we hear about God delivering, we kind of think of it in like a spiritual way, right? We're like, oh, this is a churchy thing. I don't really hear about this word deliverance in any other context other than church. But I beg to differ because I almost guarantee you if I asked an anonymous survey about who in here has Amazon Prime, all of you would be like, yes, that's me. Amazon is a great way to explain what deliverance and what delivering means, because when you go on Amazon, you look for your items that you're wanting to buy, and you look up in your search engine, the, the first thing you see is the name of the item, right? And what's the thing that's right below it? It's the delivery date. If you have Prime, it's within two days, it's awesome, but if you don't, then it's okay, then I gotta line it up, right, and all that kind of stuff. Am I gonna be home when this thing gets here? Um, but the delivery date is right below the price, because the delivery matters to us, right? And so what is the delivery date? Well, it's obviously the time that you expect that delivery to arrive at your door. So do you deliver that own pa- your own packages to, from Amazon? No, the Amazon delivery guy does, right? It's somebody else who does it for you. Should you deliver your own packages? No, that'd be a waste of the 100 or $120 that you pay a year for, for Amazon Prime. So what does delivery mean in this context? Well, delivery means that something gets carried to its desired destination. It's super practical, it's super normal. And that is the same, um, and that is the same in the Bible as well. So when God decides to deliver on something, when God decides to deliver his promise, when God decides to deliver his people, it's going to be in the same context. He's going to deliver some packages to their desired destination. So I hope you guys are tracking along because we're gonna read how God is going to deliver his people. The Lord replies to Moses. He says, I have forgiven them as you asked. All right, delivery number one, check. He's honoring Moses' request. He's honoring Moses' decision for forgiveness. Verse 21, Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and signs I performed in Egypt and in this wilderness, but disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Boom. Boom. Delivery number two. God's response is playing out within the context of the decisions that are being made. So God's going to honor the decisions of the rebels and not deliver them to the promised land, but to deliver them back into the desert. He says, not one of you will enter the land, I swore, that uplifted with uplifted hand, to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh." sure that's how you say it Um, and Joshua son of none that's a lot easier to say but he honors the faithful here with delivery number three okay so what else continues as for your children that you said would be taken as plunder I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected all right delivery number four and here's where the whole visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children starts to make more sense this is where I think I need to explain this because that. That verse sounds really tricky, but remember, God is going to show his character within the context of our lower stories, within the context of our decisions. And so when God delivers, he's gonna demonstrate his character of faithfulness, but like what we saw earlier, his commitment to partnering with us means that he's gonna show it differently to these different people who have made different decisions. And so when God visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children, God is recognizing that our decisions have impact beyond just ourselves. When God has to visit the iniquities of somebody else's decisions on somebody else, he's recognizing, he's responding to the thing that we all know to be true, which is the decisions that we make today do have ramifications for tomorrow and thereafter. But God is always faithful to visit the children. He's always faithful to visit the next generation because he's always gonna offer a door of hope, a door of partnership with those next generations. Because every generation is gonna have the song of decision playing in its background. Every generation is gonna have this, this time to inherit what their parents decided to do and say, do we wanna do this like my parents did or do I wanna do it differently? And God's always gonna be there to visit that decision. He's always gonna provide a door open for partnership. And I think that's good news. When I first read that passage, I was like, what does that look, oh my gosh, God's gonna punish? People over and over and over again because of somebody's decisions that's not what God's character is we see that in how he delivers the, the, the children he says those children are not going to suffer like their parents are going to have to they're gonna have an opportunity to go into the promised land and so what does this delivering um, look like for us today um, well what we learn I believe is that um, uh, according to this passage everyone gets delivered <laughs> Um, and I think that's really that's good news for me Um, everyone um, gets delivered but does everyone get delivered to the same place clearly not and I think that's still good news to me because I've inherited a good amount of things where I'm like man am I gonna make the same decisions as my parents am I gonna make the same decisions as my friends am I just gonna be following along with whatever has already been going on in this lower story for generations after generations and God says hey that doesn't have to that doesn't have to happen And so that's good news for me. And so um, what does this mean for for all of us here today? And so uh, I'm really short when it comes to this kind of stuff. So I only have one um, big takeaway and one action step. And so my first big takeaway is that God is committed to partnering with you. And that's really, really good news. It's really, really good news to know that God is committed to partnering with you because I really do believe if you're anything like me, you've heard the song of decision plenty of times by now. And you know how many times you've responded with mistrust or, or faith. And if you're, anybody, if you're like me, then you've made more decisions to mistrust than to, than to walk forward in faith. And I think a lot of us, especially for those of us who are, um, who are in um, church, who are coming on Sunday mornings and just kind of just kicking the tires of faith, you're like, man, does, when God finds me, what is his response going to be? I just want to blend in. I just want to kind of just sit here and just kind of learn to sing the songs, learn how to pray. And those are good things, but it's like, it really just comes from a place of of insecurity where, like, if God really knows who I am, if I stick out like a sore thumb, what is his response going to be um, towards me? And I've had to wrestle with that that question. Is God going to come to um, my song of decision and be like, hey, you messed up, and I don't want to partner with you ever again? Well, I don't believe that's what the Bible says about who God is. And I really do believe God is committed to partnering with you um, with love. So, um, that's good news for us this morning. Um, and this is where, when I was writing the sermon, I got a little bit worried. Um, because the Holy Spirit was starting to say some things, and I'm like, oh no, this is, this is, uh, this is weird. Um, but that's what happens when you read your Bible and are asked to preach. Um, and the reason why I started with this whole idea of, God is committing to partnering with you, because I was like, that is the truth, that is the good news, that doesn't matter what we have decided to do, as long as we're still living, we will always have this long decision playing, and always have the opportunity to step forward in faith. And I was like, that's awesome news. Um, but then the Holy Spirit started saying something else um, when it comes to our action step. And uh, because I'm scared, I decided to just uh, try to convince you guys to like me a little bit, and uh, tell a little bit more of my story. And so uh, my story is, I'm from Texas, Some of you know that, but some of you don't know that I'm from a town called Seymour, Texas. And the town is 3,000 people, and it's really small, and it's in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And the joke is, Seymour makes you want to see less of Texas. There's (laughs) nothing there. And uh, this is the church I grew up in. Uh, It was a small Spanish-speaking church of about 10 to 15 people. And I uh, went to this church all the way up until seventh grade before we moved away. And um, I tell you this story because... When I think back of where I've come from, and I think back of where I've been in life, I've seen God's faithfulness. I've seen God be faithful with very, very little. With 10 to 15 people in a town that's super small in a church like this. And I've seen God show me what it is to pray, show me what it is to have faith in him. I made my decision to follow Jesus in this church. I've seen God be faithful in small ways. Then I fast forward today. And I think about the building that we're about to go see today, and I think of all the time and all the energy has gone into this beautiful building, and this thing is way bigger (laughs) than this little building. Um, There's there's way more rooms, there's way more everything in this building. And I remember, I'm like, of God's faithfulness in the small building, and I I am so excited for this new building that we're going to see today, Um, but the Holy Spirit just had me pause. and. And I was just like, I have no idea why. <laughs> and, um, and I was reflecting on, on what today is going to be. And, and in light of today's story, I really do believe for those of us who are going to the building today, it's going to be a similar situation like the spies where they're gonna be walking into something that hasn't come to its completion yet. And God's gonna be playing the song of decision. The Holy Spirit is gonna be asking, where are you going to partner with me in this new place? For those of you who have partnered with us, who serve, who give their time, their talents, their money to the mission of this church, you guys are awesome. You have learned the decision. You've learned the, the, the correct response to decide to, to follow God and to partner with Him. But I do know there's a lot of people in our community and, and even in here where we're just kind of coasting until the end of construction. And... I really do believe that there's a lesson for us to learn these next six months. That God believes that He can teach in 40 days to these people, and that is: Are you going to partner with me? Are you going to commit to this merging of the stories? Maybe you have to have a, a talk with God and say, "I don't know if I'm if I'm good enough to be used in your story. I don't know if I'm useful enough to be used in your story." And hopefully today there's an opportunity for you to say, "You know what? I'm going to believe that God is committed to me." I'm going to believe that I do have something to offer to this church. I'm going to believe that God is going to use me for his greater story. And I was worried that that was going to sound mean. And I was was worried that that was going to be a little uncomfortable um, because it's asking of you something. But I really do believe that's what God is doing. Um, He's doing that in this story, and I think he's doing that in all of our stories today. So when you show up today at the building, um, just reflect on that. Reflect on, on that truth that God is committed to partnering with you and ask yourself, where am I going to partner with God in this building? And so um, that's it for today um, on, uh, from me. So um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to continue in worship. Jesus, we are so grateful that you committed to us, that you said that we were worth loving, that we were worth giving your life for. Lord, I'm thankful that those of us who have responded to that commitment that you've shown us, Lord, I'm thankful for everyone who commits to you through this church, God. So many people give so much to this mission, Lord, and I, and I just am so grateful for it. And I know you recognize them. God. I, I know you see them. I know you, you hear them when they, when they say that it's too much. It's asking too much of them, God. But I also know that you're faithful to deliver. And so for those of us who are still considering, is this, is this the place where they're going to partner with you, God? I just pray that you meet them. I pray that you accept them. I pray that you love them. I pray that you help them understand, God, that the song of decision does not have to play the way it plays in the Bible, God. The song of decision is an opportunity for them to partner with you. To be faithful to deliver us when we make that decision, and that's all these things in Christ. I pray. Amen.